Buju Ginoa. This is Charles Smith. I'm Ojibwe from the Fond du Lac Reservation, and you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road podcast. Buju Anishinaabe Doug. This is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans. We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. Bujuginoa, middle of the res road, and we're here with Twin Metals. And if you guys could introduce yourselves. Sure. I'm Kathy Grawl. I'm the Director of Public Affairs and Communications at Twin Metals Minnesota. I've been with the company about four years now. Uh, I'm actually originally from Iowa, but my family has uh, really longstanding connections to northern Minnesota. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to be involved in this project. Um, I also uh, care a lot about making sure that we're doing things right from an environmental perspective. Uh, my uh, role before I started with Twin Metals was actually in public transportation, which is an important part of uh, you know ensuring we've got a, a greener future. Um, so yeah, I've been with the company for four years, um, and anything that falls under the communications marketing umbrella is uh, what I do. Anytime the the media uh, calls or wants to come up and see the project, um, those are the types of things that I work on. And my name is Dean DeBeltz. I I'm the vice president of external affairs and um, project operations. I've been with the company for. Oh, over 11 years now. Um, Originally from Ely, so I'm a fourth-generation Elyite. Went to school, uh, got a degree in biology and chemistry, and just couldn't see myself living in the the metro area. I wanted to get back up north. And so I, I, you know, I found a spot working in mining. Um, So I worked for an iron ore mine prior to joining Twin Metals, started there uh, to help build the safety program for the organization as we grew um, and then got into project operations and to, to my current position. So it's uh, a great place to live and this is a really good project for our region. Did you say VP? Yes. <laughs> how do you, can, before we get into these questions, can you explain how you get to a VP level? Well, in a smaller organization, obviously that's, <laughs> it's a little bit easier as you expand roles and and you you know um you need people to fill spots so um you you work your way into a position and fortunately um our company is structured on the fact that you can grow from within and so if you take on more responsibility and you try different things and and um apparently you do a a decent job at it uh you can get promoted within and so it's it's just an exciting opportunity, and there's a lot of learning along the way. So it's uh, it's been a it's been a fun eleven plus years. Sounds like a, a learning experience there <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and like sure. learning on the job, lot yeah. in the job uh, training skills. Yeah, for sure. And that's yeah. I'm I'm actually from the range. I'm actually from the range. I was uh, born in Virginia, Minnesota, okay. and, and I grew up on Lake Vermilion, oh. the reservation up there. So I, I I've seen quite a bit of mining going on like uh just being up in the range around that area 
Yeah, and I'm sure um, a lot of your neighbors, you know, I, I worked with in the past at my previous uh, employer. Um, I worked over at the North Shore Mine for 12 years prior to joining Twin Metals. So, um, yeah, so we're neighbors. Um, that's Do you his, see that's a lot of moose up there in Ely? Not, not a lot not anymore. anymore. Not a lot anymore. Isabella. Isabella is, is the yeah, place to go. that's the yep. place to go. I was, if I'm a Burnside, Burnside Lake is by, right in Ely there, right? Just outside of Ely, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, up the Echo Trail probably. Um, big moose area. There's a lot of moose, obviously, but uh, Isabella is the place to go. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you guys have a press kit then? Did you develop a press kit? A press kit? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we really regularly speak to members of the media, both um, really hyper-local media organizations, um, you know, the Star Tribune, um, NPR, um, and national and inter- international publications, too. So the New York Times has covered the project, um, the Wall Street Journal. Um, really, it's all over the place. There's a lot of attention right now on critical minerals um, and where we're going to supply them. Um, And the Twin Metals Project in particular has gained a lot of um, attention because of that. Uh, So yeah, we we regularly host members of the media on site and give them tours and and speak to them and provide updates, which I I really enjoy because it's it's a good learning experience for both of us. both media members and us on the team to to kind of understand, you know, where they see the trends and the coverage around this going, but also, um, you know, to see kind of the light bulbs go off with reporters who maybe don't have as much of a science background or they haven't been exposed to mining as much when they actually see, you know, the potential and actually with our, with our project, the the small footprint that it's it's really going to have, um, I think, is a really really cool opportunity for us every time we have a reporter on site. And then, how do you study a, the trends in coverage? Because that's what stood out to me when you were talking there. And I like studying trends. I like everything on social media. I study um, everything that's like popular. If it's social media, if it's news, whatever catches my eye. So studying trends, like how do you guys do that with Twin Metals? That's a really good question. Um, you know, we we keep track of media coverage of not just Twin Metals, but mining in general, and then the broader issues around mining on a daily basis. So we're always kind of digging through all the different media coverage, whether it's on, you know, why critical minerals are needed for our national security, for our clean energy transition, for whatever the purpose is. Um, and we really compile those on a regular basis to see see how mining is being talked about. And what's been really interesting to me in the past four years since I worked on the Twin Metals Project is there's been a major shift in how people are really talking about mining, especially in the media. So three, four years ago when I started this role, the, you know, we really saw that the, the conversation and the arguments around mining were kind of pitting the, the economic job opportunities around mining and just talking about that as the sole benefit versus the potential environmental impacts. And so that was kind of where the conversation ended with mining and a lot of the media coverage that we saw three, four years ago. 
But that has really shifted as we've seen our state and our national leaders focus on, you know, setting these really ambitious goals around transitioning to a cleaner economy, to cleaner energy sources, to really fighting climate change. We've seen we've seen the coverage shift um, in in talking about the importance of critical minerals and you know where we're supplying them from. Um, that's really been reflected um, overall in the shift, and you can track that on not just in the media coverage, but in conversations that are happening on social media, among our elected officials, lots of different ways. What is the status today of the Twin Metals Project? You know, currently we we do have a a federal lawsuit. Um, We're trying to regain our federal leases that we worked really hard on over um, a number of years to really understand and and study those leases. And um, and they're they're part of our project, which we submitted a mine plan of operations to both state and federal agencies to to understand um, what we were proposing, so we could get into environmental review. uh, those leases were canceled by the the current administration, um, and <clears throat> since that time, um, our our mine plan of operations really has been taking taken off of the um, auto review, basically. So, um, unfortunately, we're in a, a, a challenging situation um, with respect to to that mine plan of operations and and the the status of those leases. However, as an organization, we feel we have a strong argument to regain those leases and, and continue. Um, so we're um, we're working on on that currently. Um, but kind of the trickle down, a lot of the good science that goes into supporting uh, the claims that that we make about our project, uh, the baseline studies that support um, the work that we've done. Unfortunately, those currently are on pause until we get through this this stretch so and then when when you say submit your federal documents for for that when when you do something like that i suppose it's like a grant application but how many documents are we talking like when you're submitting it to a number of agencies how many agencies is that and then how big are those documents how many pages what's in them yeah, so when we submitted our mine plan in 2019, that was really the culmination of a an entire decade of work, of community engagement work, of environmental um, assessment, um, you know, the drilling and the geological studies, the hydrogeo studies. It was a full decade of work before we felt we were ready to submit a plan that was right for the community, right for the environment, right for the area that we were going to be operating in. So that's a full decade of work until you actually turn in your documents to the state and federal agencies. And so uh, the two primary agencies that uh, we submitted them to um, would have been on the state side, the DNR, and then at the federal level, the the BLM. And so um, because we've we've got a mix of state, private, and federal mineral interests, um, the environmental review track, it was kind of a dual dual track. And it's hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents and scientific data to back up, um, you know, the, the mine plan itself. And what is BLM? The Bureau of Land Management. So is there a time frame that something has to happen within a certain time frame of, 
for the the what you were just talking about about the environmental um, plan and stuff like that, like all these plans that you have in place. Is there like a time frame that the, they got to make a decision to go forward or? Currently, there isn't um, requirements as far as standards as how long it can take. Now, there's, uh, a, you know, anticipated timelines that, that you would expect to go through environmental review. However, um, sometimes that can be uh, circumvented by, you know, groups that might, or things that happen along the way. Um, the process in and of itself really is very robust, and it's designed to have multiple inputs where the public um, looks at your plan, and, and this it's a, it's a totally public, transparent um, um, way to look at the permitting system as a whole, and there's, there's times when you have public hearings on uh, different aspects of, of that plan as it goes through the pro- process, but I mean, typically, the uh, shortest time frame, you know, could be three years. Longest time frame could be a lot longer than that. Um, we submitted our plan, quite frankly, and um, I, I think it was 31 months that passed, and we saw zero progress on that plan within the agency. So, you know, permitting reform for us is a really big uh, topic of conversation that we'd like to have because, you know, I'll go back to the fact that Kathy mentioned the science and these multiple pages. I believe our submittal was like 436 pages. And that represents um, $550 million of investment into to study the project over time. We have a core storage facility on our campus at our office in Ely that houses 1.5 million feet of core. And that's the science. That's how do you understand you know, what the deposit is, where it lies, and the scientists that we work with really know that deposit. They know the geology. Um, we, we've done a robust hydrogeologic study of the region um, so we can answer a lot of questions that will come up in environmental review. Okay. <clears throat> how, um, how does Twin Metals differ from other underground mines? Each Mine location, each area, I should start with the geologic deposit, is different, right? Um, There's no two places that are exactly the same. And so, you know, we took that into account with the the design of our mine. And and for our underground deposit, 85% of our mining would happen below 1,500 feet below surface. So ours is a relatively deep deposit in our region. Um, and we, it's really a, a thick, uh, area that runs through and it actually dips down. And, and so we know exactly where that deposit lies. And so it's, you know, from a modern perspective, um, there's minimal surface dis- disturbance with respect to our mine and, um, you know, 21st century mining, there's a lot of enhancements underground that have been put into place since you know Minnesota's seen mining I think the last mine underground mine in the state of Minnesota closed in in 1967 and that was in Ely so there's been huge changes huge advancements since that uh, and 
one of the reasons I have always wanted to work on this project was because of the technological advances. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to be producing 20,000 tons of ore per day, and we're getting to a point where we're confident that we're going to be a net zero uh, emissions operation um, by the time we're operational, which is it's pretty phenomenal when you think about it in the transition of the, the, the mining industry that we're able to uh, accomplish that. So, you know, we announced um, pretty recently that we'd be switching our fleet to all electric, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's actually ideally suited for underground mining because you don't have the longer distances when you're working in that underground environment. It also creates a lot of safety benefits um, and a nicer, quieter environment for workers underground. Uh, so because of that, uh, incorporating the electric fleet um, and utilizing renewable energy um, and future plans to implement carbon sequestration on site, we're confident we're going to be a net zero operation, which I just think is pretty mind-blowing for a, a major, you know, mining operation. Can, I, can we back up one question? Yeah. So you had said 31 months. I mean, 31, yeah, 31 months, right? Yeah. There's nothing, no progress. So, uh, and we had talked about this before, we had officially came on and so we got 31 months what does that do for the business how do you guys keep going when there's 31 months of nothing happening so what do you have to do uh, talk to the stakeholders talk to anyone that owns any portion of the company how, how does that work yeah, so we're, we're our parent company is Anafagasta Minerals. It's a, a Chilean mining company, and um, they understand that the progress t- or the process takes time. Uh, it's an iterative pro- uh, process, and that um, you know they have a long view on this. They want to make sure that the work that we're doing is the right work. So in that time, we didn't just sit and wait for something else to happen. I mean, we there, we were collecting uh, baseline data throughout that entire process to enhance our models to make sure that, you know, we knew what baseline conditions were to help support the overall model. So, you know, that's when we submitted a plan to the agencies. And and, and then the agencies, you know, take that plan and, and they use uh, contractors to help them sort through that. And the other thing that I'll say is keep in mind that we have to help fund those contractors to look at that process directed by the agencies. And so, um, again, we recognize that this is a long-range thing and, and there's a process involved, but, um, you know, we have to support that process however we can. So you take 31 months, nothing's happening, and we talked about this. We talked about this before we went on. So for hiring, for looking at people that want to work for your company how does that look right now we sure wish we were hiring right now uh, you know unfortunately because we're uh, on a bit of a pause right now because of the recent actions um you know we we're waiting for the litigation to resolve. We're really confident that we're going to get our federal mineral leases back. Uh, at that time, we would re-enter the environmental review process. Uh, but it's 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 really challenging, you know. And our project, once it's operational, will employ 750 people full time and create another 
1500 spinoff jobs and that's in an area Ely and Babbitt where you know job creation is desperately needed we can employ about half of the population in Ely and Babbitt with our project alone I mean it's just astounding and and construction of the project would be something like three million uh, labor hours and so it's a really incredible it's a transformational opportunity for northeast Minnesota and that's what drives us, I think, every day to, to keep working on this project and keep it moving forward. But it is frustrating and it's hard. Uh, it's hard when, you know, your your project essentially becomes a political football um, to, to continue to make investment decisions for sure in Minnesota. And we're not the only, you know, we're not the only mining company in the in the country that's been facing these obstacles. Um, there's certainly been other examples of of other mines that have faced similar challenges. And then when you get to operational, so when you get to that point, you get operational 750 people that you're looking for. How does that go? What, what are you actually going to be looking for, for 750 people to fill those spots? Well, um, interestingly enough, our favorite um, tour of the year, are our third graders, our local third graders come through. And if you think about the, the process to get through permitting, you know, I mentioned some timeline. And, but those are the types of people that we want to start talking to so that they can get excited about this project, so they can understand and learn um, what's out there. So hopefully that they can stay in our region, stay in our area, and, you know, make a good living to support a family, to keep folks uh, in our region, um, to fill our schools, fill our storefronts. Um, our, our population's been on a constant decline. I mean, it looks really good in the summertime when we have a lot of tourists, and we're thankful that, that those folks come and help support the economy. But it's it's really a short period of time. It's a short window of time. And, and um, generationally, if you look at, and, and this is, this is a, an exact example, you know, my class was half the size of my father's class in, in high school, and I've got two daughters, one's in ninth and one's in 10th grade, and their classes are half the size of mine. So each generation, that the, the population within the school is cut in half. And so to answer your question, you know, we, we hear from different industry how, it's, how hard it is to, to staff up. And so we'll, we'll have that challenge when we get to that point, but... You know, we're targeting, you know, young school-age children to, to let them know what could potentially be out there in front of them. And, um, you know, hopefully there'll be an opportunity for that in the future. I wanted to ask a question here, um, you know, like that hiring process and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> say when that does, when it does become available, it's like, um, where would people apply? People that are even brand new to, to the mining work or don't have no background on the mining the mining industry or anything like that, but they want to work and say they got some training, like just not much. They got maybe like the MSHA or, you know, maybe some class time or, or something like that. What, where would they apply? And is, is there going to be any jobs created for those people new to the, to the mining industry? I'll, I'll, I can take that question and it's very interesting because you know that's exactly where I started in mining I um, 
fortunately, when I when I started in mining, I I started as a well during college because my my father worked at the mine. I was able to get a you know summer student job to to do you know labor at the mine. But um, when I started at the mine, there was the mines do a really nice job of of training people uh, in place. So you mentioned MSHA, uh, uh, mine safety and health training. Yeah. Um, that's really that's a, the important start because that's where it exposes uh, individuals to the hazards associated with with mining, but it also uh, it teaches people how to work safely as you uh, as you work in a mine, and then it's up to um, like Twin Metals as an organization as we hire people to train them for various aspects of what we need. Um, with respect to you know what positions are there, so mining has done a really good job of of making sure that you know you train people up to make to get them to a point where where they need to be, and that's really important for us uh, as well. We've we've started a, a small internship program in the past um, where we brought um, you know college students in to help us with various aspects, whether it be water sampling or you know, uh, acoustic televiewing uh, downholes of our uh, down downhole of our exploration boreholes, um, which just is data that we're collecting, and it teaches them a new skill, and it's beneficial to us because you know we get to train them, and hopefully in the future they'll say, hey, that was a really good experience, and I want to do that again. Uh, those are paid internships, that, and um, we've had nothing but um, really good reviews of those. Uh, what pre precautions do you take for water degradation on the boundary waters? Ooh, an environmental question. Here we go. We're <laughs> yeah, putting this, her on the no, spot. This, this is a really good question. This is really important to us too. So I'll let. Yeah. So we, we've been, you know, thinking about that for a really long time and designing our project to account for that. And, you know, we actually have a really unique uh, geological formation that, um, allows for us to, um, in the process of uh, uncovering the ore from underground and then turning it into a concentrate product, we can actually remove all of the, the essentially minerals that we're looking for and put those into the concentrates. So we'll produce a, a copper concentrate, a nickel and cobalt concentrate, and then a platinum group metals concentrate. And so all of, all of those uh, materials are actually put in containers and shipped off site. And so what you're left with um, are essentially the, the, the two main concerns, the, the main concern for um, a copper nickel mining operation would be the potential for acid rock drainage. And that could come from either waste rock that's not stored properly or from the tailings that are, are left over after you uh turn your ore into that mineral concentrate product. Um, so we've actually got a really unique uh, geology and that we can pull all of those materials out and put them into the concentrate. And then because we're an underground mine, we actually won't have any of that waste rock on surface. We're able to store that underground. And then we've done extens extensive testing on our, on our tailings that show uh, that they won't actually produce, they, they won't actually be at the level to produce any acid rock drainage. And the DNR has confirmed this independently. They've done the same kind of testing on our same 
um, mineral deposit, the Duluth complex um, geological deposit, that confirms that there just won't be uh, um, the, the content there to produce the acid rock drainage. And so it's a common misperception about our project. Um, and, you know, those that are, you know, opposed to mining paint kind of this picture of, you know, um, destruction from projects like ours. And it's just, it's, it's not even possible because of the way that we're going to be mining um, and shipping those materials off site. And then also just because our tailings will essentially be benign. They just won't be able to produce that acid rock drainage that people are um, concerned about. So we've been thinking about those protective measures for a really long time. We're also not discharging any of our process water or any of the water that comes into contact with um, with our whole process. And so it's a really unique operation in that way. And um, it's something that we really like to talk about because it is, um, you know, it's something that people hear and, you know, make kind of generalizations about the Twin Metals project, but it's just, you know, it's just misinformation is what it is. And how does that affect, I suppose that changes the relationship and I was, I, and working with tribes, because tribes have a direct, um, direct say over Boundary Waters and 1854 treaty so how does that work how do you build a relationship with the tribe when the stance is probably not for mining yeah so um you know we've we've tried to do a lot of work in in building our relationships um especially with uh the boys fort tribe um we've we were able to attend the cultural sensitivity training that that the uh Boys Fort puts on with the state. Uh, um, and so, you know, for us, that was very beneficial. And, and we meet uh, regularly with the tribal council um, to give them updates on the project. Um, and, and, you know, as we have new news, we try to reach out as much as we can. The other thing through this whole exploration phase and the phase that we've been developing the project over time um, we, we've had uh, uh, surveyors go out and do archaeological surveys. You know, if there's any uh, areas where, you know, potential areas that we may find uh, are historical areas, we'll bring the tribal elders out to take a look at those. Um, so really for us right now with where we're at, it's, it's building that relationship of trust so that, um, you know, members of the Boys Fort Band, which is closest to us, understand that, we want to do the right thing. We want them to help work with us and help guide us in that um, so that we can bring the right project uh, to fruition here. And with the Boys Fort Band, working so close with them, meeting with them on a regular basis, have they taken you up on the – Have or have you guys offered the tours that you do with the school-age kids? And anyone in general? Yeah, in fact, we've, we've met both um, – we've met at, at – Net Lake. Um, we've met over at Fortune at Fortune Bay. We've met at our office, so we try to we try to do that so we can just have open conversations and discussions. And you know, we can we can talk about concerns. We can talk about you know, you know, hopefully how we're addressing some of those concerns. Um, but again, we're 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 really trying to build that relationship and and figure out how we can better support. Um, 
support the 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 tribes support the the concerns that are out there and and um, you know work with them to make sure that we're doing the right things and then does that mean does that equate to adding tribal liaison positions you know that's uh, that, that's a that's something that we would like to do in the future um, we've had some um, you know we've worked with the tribal historic preservation officer to um, walk along on, on some of the surveys that we've had. But I think, you know, again, once we get back into the, the process, it would be really good to have a a, um, um, a tribal liaison lead uh, with us to, to really help us understand. And and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really important relationship for us. So you guys are already thinking that that's the direction that you'll be going? That's uh, yeah. That's again, a possible direction. It's a you. possible direction that we could go to, you know, better help, you know, inform and and you know work collaboratively. Yeah. So that you know, like bringing the the, the tribal stuff into it and stuff like that. How many jobs um, is Twin Metals and the tribe? Are they? Is there any kind of agreement there on tribal? Um, tribal opportunities for for people from the different tribes of the minnesota chippewa tribe or is is there like an employment rate that you you know that you plan to target you know i think right now it's too early to target that but what we want to do is better work uh, you know with the the tribal leaders to determine you know how does that workforce development look you know how can they help support that because again in the metro area 750 jobs probably doesn't turn any dials for anyone but up north it, it does and so we're going to need help and so we're going to we, we need to help to find that help and and again the the um, you know working with the tribes is really important for us and you know we've we've obviously seen some you know major companies like Enbridge um, do some really good work in that space and so we hope to kind of model a little bit from that but also you know fine-tune what we need to based on our operation and based on what the tribes closest to us are really looking for um so that you know we've seen some good work happening and we hope to kind of model that but it's it's gonna have to you know it's still probably eight ten years down the road for us until we're 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 gonna be hiring that many people but it's the goal and then are you building the onboarding process then right now if if you're looking out eight ten years how when do you start building the onboarding? So that's a really good question because, you know, we, we will have to work with consultants to help us with that. Um, you know, we've done some workforce development type things within the colleges and things like that in the past just to really understand where, where that is. Um, but Kathy mentioned it uh, we, we expect a three-year construction period, and, and we've signed a, a project labor agreement uh, for a union construction of our facility. So we have a little bit of a, hopefully a little bit of a cushion uh, during that construction period um, where we would bring, a, um, you know, a, a someone skilled in underground mining in to help us develop that, that workforce and determine, you know, where our needs are, are most. But um, very futuristic um, I wish I wish I didn't have to say we had a we had a, a bit of a runway until we get to that point, but you know uh, we've got a we've got a bit of a ways to go. But it's you know the concepts we're thinking about and how how are we going to tackle this in the future is important. 
So Dean ain't going to lace his boots up and go down there in the mines? I'll go down there, yeah. Okay. That's what I'm waiting for. Okay. <laughs> I heard you talk about being a laborer at one point. That's actually what I am, so that's why I just, I, I had to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, how many union jobs do you think will be created? Like, like some people, you know, you hire these companies, these different companies, and they hire their own laborers. Um, are you planning on... Like um, being a pathway to people that want to be union? Well, I think that's something that the unions have to uh, vote on and and determine in the future. Um, We do have the project labor agreement for the construction of the the mine. Uh, But beyond that, I think that would be a decision by the the different unions that will be involved. Okay, yeah, because I know that's like um, a lot of people right now that are trying to actually get into the union they need to be sponsored by companies. So so it's like um, a lot of companies ain't taking anyone outside the union. So it's like, how do you create these union jobs if people can't get sponsorships? You know, and that's just a entry, you know, just a, a beginning entry to get in, get your foot in the door. And then once you're in the door, you get to be, you know, fill out the paperwork for union. So I was wondering, you know, like if Twin Metals is... Um, trying to you know like put any opportunities like that out there for 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 the community up there i mean the you say the 750 jobs and our 1500 uh spinoff yeah, yeah spinoff jobs yeah and again you know getting back to the 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 uh, project lab- labor agreement that we signed for construction that was really important to us because that's skilled labor, and we think that's uh, you know a stepping stone for uh, what's next to come because the underground mine requires heavily skilled labor in di- all different aspects, um, and so I get Minnesota doesn't have that experience. Well, at least you know since the '60s when when underground mines closed, but. Um, yeah, it's for sure. It's it's a, it's an important aspect of of uh, the operation moving forward. We've got a lot of people to hire, and so it's, yeah. we're open to we're open to all possibilities when it when it comes to what that process looks like for sure. Yeah, and then for people to move up there, say if you can't find seven hundred fifty people, and then the fifteen hundred additional workers, how do you expect um, for people to apply? get hired then move up there are you going to help with the transition yeah again that's that's pretty futuristic for us but it's it will be a challenge as you know um whatever happened after covid there's like there's no housing anywhere um child care is a is a challenge um all of these things that help uh you know basic community needs that we have uh this a region struggles with and um, you know, it's a bigger conversation than just twin metals. I happen to sit on, uh, as president of the United Way of Northeast Minnesota, and um, those are challenges we hear from all of the communities within our region. Um, and you know, elder care, all of those things that make up healthy communities, we struggle with. And so, you know, industries like ours can help bolster that and help figure out solutions for that. But we don't have a specific plan in place at this point in time with, you know, housing. But but one thing I will say about, you know, uh, our workforce and, and the mining workforce in general, um, people will travel 
distances to get to work and they'll travel to get to the right right places. What we want to offer is the right place for people to work, to want to come to work and to want to be part of a, you know, a, a good, safe culture uh, in mining. And hopefully that'll be the draw for people to come to our, to, to the Twin Metals project. Got any more questions? I really don't. I, I, I think they explained it pretty well. And it's, you know, I can't thank you guys enough for making it out. And, and, and I really enjoy listening to you. And, and it's not only just listening and learning, you know, it's educating, you know, educating the surrounding communities and, and making people aware of opportunities that might be coming up. And, you know, now's the time to get that training done. You know, yeah. I mean, that that's what I think, you know, and that's just the way I look at it. You know, being a union laborer, it's like... Um, I want to get some trainings done now. Yeah. You, you know, Dean put that in the air for me. You know, you need you need to be trained and you need to be skilled. So I was like, huh, huh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be skilled and I'm gonna be from Minnesota. <laughs> well, I I just want to say we want to say thank you for being open and having the conversation because a lot of times we're faced with, you know, um, just people don't want to talk about it or it's something that's challenging and and we've been at this for a long time um you know we've we've been an, an important part of the community and we see that future as a, a, a important part of the community going forward so it's important to have the conversations it, it's important to get the questions and um, it's important to have an honest discussion about what it is we're really trying to do and so we appreciate you guys having us uh, here to, to talk about that. I, I really like that, like how you brought the tribal stuff into it and, and being able to reach out to the surrounding community. I think that's that's a very, very um, honest thing to do, and you do that with integrity, and, and, and you just, you know, you invite, you're very inviting about what you're doing, and you, you, you're very uh, thorough. And, you should and, come up and, and take a tour. We're... We're always open to visitors, so if you're, if you're up, you said there's nowhere there. to stay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fortune <laughs> Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually from Boys Fort, so yeah, I know where it's at. But yeah, I've uh, I toured the sedan mines before, so like, and those haven't been nice. open forever. Yeah. But but um, I I would really enjoy that. I think Charlie would too. We'll have to we'll sign up go to Duluth Airport team. and fly up there sometime. I'll go as long as Morgan and Lou and Ricky goes. Yeah, our whole podcast team is going. <laughs> Kathy, is there anything you want to say before we jump off? Uh, I just, I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, especially that you're willing to just kind of learn a little bit more about the project. And I know it's, um, you know, it's it's a little frustrating that the opportunities are so so far in the future, but we, we certainly hope to come back on the podcast when we're getting ready to, you know, maybe start up that internship program again or start, you know, hiring again in the future. So, yeah, I just really appreciate the, that the thoughtful would be, questions. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Like, like um, and, and that's what I, what I love about these major companies is, is the pathways that, of opportunity that you can put out there and right. and that's i think that's important to every community and i really want to thank you guys both for making it in kathy and dean and charles thanks for coming in charles you guys thank you thank you thank you